Welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. I'm Mohamed Jamjoum. Entities and individuals in Zimbabwe have been under Western sanctions for nearly 20 years. Now, a UN special envoy says it's time for the US, EU, and UK to end the measures, saying they're hurting the economy and destroying livelihoods. So, should the sanctions be lifted? And are they to blame for Zimbabwe's troubles? All right, let's bring in our guests. From Harare, Obert Gutu, founder of the Nagona Legal Consultancy and Public Governance Institute and former Zimbabwean Deputy Minister of Justice and Legal Affairs. From Johannesburg, Piers Pigou, International Crisis Group Senior Consultant for Southern Africa. And also from Harare, Ibu Mandaza, Director of the Southern Africa Political Economy Series Trust. Thanks to you all for joining us today. We appreciate your time here on Inside Story. Obert, let me start with you. In the past, you've apologized for being part of opposition party politicians in Zimbabwe who repeatedly called on the West to impose and maintain sanctions on Zimbabwe. Why did you apologize? Yes, I had to apologize uh, because I felt uh, after deep uh, introspection and deep uh, self-reflection and, and, and thought analysis uh, that I had actually been, uh, with respect, uh, you know, very naive to run along with the with the sanctions on Zimbabwe narrative. Uh, in fact, I think I was one of the most vocal, you know, politicians then who were passionately advocating, you know, for for sanctions to be imposed. In fact, I actually thought then that the sanctions were actually too little, and I was advocating for even more, uh, uh, you know, you know, sanctions stronger or bigger sanctions. And uh, on further reflection, I, I then realized that, no, I, I think maybe my conceptualization of re- restrictive or restricted or so-called targeted sanctions was not exactly what uh, what then happened. I think I had this uh, perhaps naive, uh, perhaps too idealistic uh, conceptualization of this animal called targeted sanctions. Uh, because in reality, there's nothing like targeted sanctions. The sanctions against Zimbabwe have actually been wholesome sanctions. If anyone who has been targeted, it is the poor man and the poor woman in the townships, the poor man and the poor woman in the villages, out there in the peri-urban areas. In other words, it is millions of uh, the poverty-stricken and toiling masses of Zimbabwe who were actually targeted Mm. by these instructions. So with time, I then realized that I'd made, uh, arguably, I think the worst uh, mistake of my political career associating myself and even openly advocating and passionately doing so uh, for, for the imposition of sanctions on, on, on my beloved country, Zimbabwe. So up to now, I've, I feel this deep sense of, uh, of guilt, this deep sense of, of mm. shame, uh, this deep sense of regret. Uh, this is why I decided to go public and to say to my countrymen, to my countrywomen, to my Zimbabwean uh, compatriots, that I'm sorry, and let me repeat, let me take this opportunity once again uh, on Al Jazeera to reiterate my apology and to say that apology is, is, is total, is from the depth of my heart, and it's unconditional. Ibo, have you been surprised by what you've heard so far from Special Envoy Duhan? Um, is this what you had expected to hear from her? Well, I was quite surprised myself because I think the, the, the first... Uh, impression that more people had, many people at least, uh, thought, they thought this was an, an invitee of the government that she would simply 
say what exactly the government wants to hear. And indeed, the, the itinerary set up for her appeared to be very state-centered and appeared to, 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 to have left out uh, the opposition and civil society. But I was surprised, yes, if the statement which was uh, issued yesterday is correct, I was surprised that it's quite a balanced statement uh, in that on the one hand, yes, she acknowledges the, the issue of sanctions, um, uh, that even though they were targeted, they have had a, a debilitating effect on the, on the economy in terms of perceptions and so on and so forth. But then she went on, which is why I was surprised, she went on to highlight that which most of us have been highlighting, the need for political and economic reforms, the need for a return, restoration by implication, restoration of constitutionalism, and the rule of law. And I think that resonates mm. well with some of us who have been calling for a transitional authority in the country. Mm. Uh, basis that both the, the, the ruling party, the state, is beyond redemption. They have no capacity to reform. Uh, and therefore, and, and the opposition has been battered enough, uh, decimated, and uh, therefore there's a need to, to get together and have a transition authority which gives the country a breathing space mm -hmm. uh, before the next election. Yes. Piers, um, how much of an impact will this statement from the special rapporteur have and how much weight does it carry? Well, uh, thanks for the question and thanks for the opportunity to, to have a further discussion on this issue. I don't think the statement will necessarily have that much impact, although it does depend uh, on the extent to which the key parties, uh, those doing the sanctioning uh, and those being sanctioned, uh, use this in a constructive way. I do think there is an opportunity from this statement to pursue a more constructive dialogue about the issues that are on the table. I do think... Uh, Mr. Hahn has uh, raised some extremely important issues which sanctioning nations need to look at much more seriously in, in, in a generic uh, way as well, not just with respect to these particular measures. The issue of overcompliance that she uh, emphasizes in statement uh, is an important one. But I do think that there will be some questions asked about the extent to which her analysis is kind of a cherry-picking one. Uh, uh, with respect to the major causal factors of the current uh, lack of enjoyment that uh, ordinary Zimbabweans have with respect to uh, human rights, uh, institutional integrity, and so forth. And uh, while certainly the inference on the call for reform and dialogue and so forth points at those issues, there will be some that will question and we'll wait to see what evidence she puts on the table to support the kind of superlatives that she's added around the impact of measures uh, that have been put in place. I mean, I would, for one, fundamentally disagree with Obert Butu's uh, reflections that these measures have had such a devastating impact uh, on the ordinary individuals. Uh, they certainly have had an impact. I think there's no doubt about that. The question is, how do we weight that impact? And one would hope uh, that the process that we've seen would enable a more constructive dialogue that looks forward with a view to seeing how these measures can be led uh, and relating those to mm. dialogue and reform issues. 
Mr. Hans put on the table. Olbert, of course, Pierce just now disagreed with your viewpoint on all of this when it comes to sanctions, the effects that they've had. I want to give you a chance to reply. Yes. Uh, when you look at the effects of uh, the illegal sanctions on Zimbabwe, the, the effect has actually been, uh, I mean, for some of us who lived in Zimbabwe, literally for, for, for all our lives, I'm born and bred here. So we, we know Zimbabwe, we know some of these places, perhaps where, 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 where Mr. Pig has, has never been to. I mean, to the, out there in the villages, out there in the townships, where you, 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 you visit uh, the poorest of the poor. So you, 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 you get an opportunity, like for some of us, to, to see for yourself. You know, to, to, to actually appreciate from a personal one-on-one uh, position to see that, look, this is what sanctions have done. The decimation of uh, what was uh, arguably maybe one of Southern Africa's most sophisticated industrial base at independence in 1980. Now it's just a total shame. Okay, we have had people talk of corruption, but you should also look at the symbiotic relationship between sanctions and corruption. Actually, I, I believe that uh, actually, you know, sanctions are, are one of the main drivers uh, of corruption in Zimbabwe. And we are, we are saying at the end of the day, when you look at the, the, the timing of the sanctions, it had really nothing to do with so-called uh, non-observance of human rights and the rule of law. It had everything to do with the revolutionary land reform program, which began in earnest around February 2000. Mm. So Zimbabwe is actually being punished for embark- embarking on, on something that was Unheard of. I'm sure the former colonial powers and all the major Western powers were totally taken aback to say, oh, this little country in Southern Africa, how dare they do that? Taking land from about 4,500 4, or 5,000 uh, white commercial farmers? That, that was just unthinkable. And then, like Chester Crock and other guys in the United States said, let us make the economy scream. And boy, the economy did scream. Special Envoy Duhan says the unilateral sanctions and the overcompliance with the measures in their complexity had exacerbated pre-existing economic conditions, especially for those living in poverty, women, children, and the elderly, among others. Do you agree with that assessment? It would be very difficult to, to quantify that, to qualify that, the extent to which sanctions or targeted measures would have had that effect. I think the, and, and one doesn't want to be drawn into the debate, such as Robert uh, uh, Kutu has tried to provoke, of, of uh, argue, of, of a polarized debate between those who think sanctions are bad and those who think sanctions are good. I want to understand the historical context of sanctions or targeted measures. And I would want to say that, in, our, in my view, is 20 years of these uh, so called targeted measures. They have not achieved the purpose for which they were put in place. They've become more True. Uh, token, in my view. They are certainly different from the mandatory UN sanctions that we've seen before uh, in Rhodesia and in other countries. Um, and secondly, they have not had the, they have not punished these the so-called targeted uh, uh, individuals. On the contrary, these people remain very, very prosperous, even not, if not more prosperous than they were in 2001 when the sanctions were introduced. And therefore, for me, the issue of the debate about sanctions must must be based primarily on whether they are achieving their purpose, which is to improve, the, to, 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 to influence, or I don't, I don't want to say force, but this influence political and economic reforms. They have not achieved that. On the contrary, we have gone uh, uh, 
downwards uh, in terms of the economy. And in political terms, we've gone worse because we have a cool government in place. So nothing has improved. So there's need to change the paradigm. Um, and move, and that's why I welcome uh, the envoy's uh, reference to mm -hmm. a structured dialogue. A structured dialogue, for me, structured dialogue, which is almost like just quoting us in our statements from the transition authority. Mm. It is time to sit down and look for a, a, a way forward mm. uh, through a creation of national, regional, and international uh, cooperation mm. towards a provisional settlement. Zimbabwe is in dire need of a provisional settlement. After that, oil follows. That is the, that is the bottom line. Mm. Uh, Piers, um, you yeah. heard uh, Ibo there talk about um, how the rep special rapporteur is calling for a structured dialogue. Is that something you think can happen at this point? Well, you know, I, I was watching the uh, or listening to the Zanu PF. Uh, uh, spokesman today, sorry, uh, uh, who was talking about this is a, an endorsement of the existing political actors dialogue process, which uh, is a controversial process that has been introduced by uh, President Mnangagwa and does not have the support of the mainstream opposition, uh, MDC Alliance. Uh, I do not think that what is being referred to is the POLAD process, and I do think it is kind of dialogue uh, that uh, Ibo Mandaza is referring to, one that uh, also moves beyond the kind of, and, and this is something Special Rapporteur Doha has said, moves beyond uh, and abandons the kind of rhetoric of sanctions as an advocacy tool, which mm. uh, is what we continue to see from some players here to see what advantage. It seems very unlikely in the run-up to an election in the next 18 months uh, or so that we are going to see a real commitment from certain actors uh, uh, to that kind of dialogue, unfortunately. Obert, from your point of view, um, are there conditions in place right now in Zimbabwe whereby there could be uh, a framework developed for some kind of national dialogue or constructive dialogue going forward? Oh, oh, oh yes. Uh, oh, yes. You know, the... the main challenge I think that uh, some of our colleagues have had uh, in Zimbabwe is, is this issue of saying if the dialogue is not like, uh, you know, driven or literally, you know, conducted by, by foreign powers or foreign individuals, uh, then it, and, uh, it is not a legitimate uh, dialogue. Uh, to say, no, we want uh, SADC to initiate the dialogue, we want the African Union to initiate the dialogue. There have even been calls for the, for the United Nations to initiate the dialogue. And some of us just say, okay, why? Because we are looking at Zimbabwe, you know, with one of Africa's highest uh, rates of, uh, of literacy. We have got tremendous human capital within the country, Zimbabwean uh, cap human capital, and also uh, human capital in, in the diaspora. We, we have some of the most skilled people across whatever profession or professional divide you may want to think of. We have Zimbabweans who are capable of doing that. So I think the moment that people then say, oh, for as long as the dialogue maybe is initiated uh, inwardly and does not include some foreign interests, and mm. we know who these foreign interests are. I mean, these are, I was you know, in the opposition for more than 20 years of my life, and I know how the opposition is driven. I know the hand of the, the foreign hand in the opposition politics in Zimbabwe because I was there. I was there right in the mix. I was in the National Standing Committee of the MDC. 
So I know what I'm talking about. So dialogue is already happening. There's the Pollard process in Zimbabwe. And I believe that uh, it is one of the most uh, patriotic and one of the most actually all-inclusive uh, dialogue platforms. So why are other people not interested in Pollard to say, no, we want a bilateral dialogue between mm. President Mnangagwa and ourselves, which doesn't include all other players. Mm. Uh, it simply won't cut it, it, and it won't happen. It's not going to happen. Why? Because politics includes everybody, the so-called big uh, political players and the so-called small political players. Mm. And Pollard is right, the perfect fit for that kind of dialogue. So Pollard is is. Ibo, you wrote a piece in which you said the vain expectations that the November 2017 coup would redeem Zimbabwe from the international isolation under the Zimbabwe is open for business mantra have all but gone up in smoke. Why is that? So I'm very surprised to hear my brother, Robert Gutu, uh, utter those, those words. I mean, I'm shocked that he thinks Pollard is a way forward for Zimbabwe. Absolutely shocked. You know, um, everyone knows that Pollard is, an, is, a, is, is a cul-de-sac. It's going in Norway. Um, I mean, the majority of Zimbabweans know that. If he doesn't, I'm surprised. Uh, secondly, I think that the, 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 the only way forward is a kind of dialogue which begins. There are many interpretations of that. There's a whole dialogue industry in Zimbabwe, including the Pollard one, which is the most blatantly uh, uh, failure. But I believe dialogue, uh, genuine dialogue must begin with re the recognition or the restoration of constitutionalism in Zimbabwe. Return the rule of law and return of the military to the barracks. That is the bottom line for a dialogue that takes us forward. And Zimbabwe has always been an internationalized situation, right through from the 1961 constitutional talks to the Lancaster House Agreement. We believe that we need to return to that kind of situation again, with the help of the region and with the help of the international community. I've stated in the article that you have cited that the, the international factors who have imposed uh, sanctions on, on Zimbabwe need to have a paradigm shift to, to give some kind of, uh, uh, to engage with Zimbabweans across the divide, mm -hmm. to engage the scaffold, genuine dialogue that begins, as I said earlier, with the structured fashion. I wonder whether when this lady referred, referred to a structured dialogue, I thought she was almost quoting the document we did in 2016 long before the, 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 the coup, when we saw the coup coming, that they, we, need, we reached a stage where we're not going anywhere. And to think that we're going somewhere with Pollard, I think that is delusional, to say the least. Mm. Thank you. Piers, from your perspective, will the special rapporteur's work be able to enable a broader fact-based engagement on the issues that she's been investigating? Well, it should be. Uh, I mean, I think this this uh, really is the next step. It's unfortunate that we're only going to see a final report in September next year. Uh, but I think there's a great deal of interest that this is a uh, an issue that requires attention. There is a real opportunity in front of us to have that fact-based discussion uh, that goes beyond the posturing that we see uh, continuing uh, uh, 
even in the face of the statement that she has made, cherry-picking of the issues from that statement. Uh, the question, as I said earlier, is whether the key parties are prepared to come to the table on this front. It's not as if there aren't opportunities and spaces for this kind of dialogue, either internally or between the parties instituting sanctions and those at the receiving end. There is an opportunity to do this. Let's see really now how the actors respond to this call from the special rapporteur. But I do think she also has a responsibility to see how best she can facilitate that uh, and to catalyze uh, uh, the, the discussion. Because uh, what I see on the table at the moment uh, from her is provoca provocations, which are important provocations, but people will need to see what the evidence is that back up those provocations in order to uh, enable and to catalyze that discussion. Piers, let me just follow up with you real quick, and we only have about a moment left. Um, what do you foresee happening when the Special Envoy presents her final report next year? Well, uh, you know, I, I mean, there'll have to be clearly a scrutiny of what she puts on the table. And again, I hope that that's another injection, bearing in mind that we're likely still to have these measures in place, uh, that that provides another opportunity to drive this discussion forward. Uh, and it seems to me that, that external actors from the region, from the continent and so forth, could play an important role in enabling that conversation. But it requires something which we haven't had much of, really, and that's a level of honesty. Uh, and the move away from posturing and a more empirically rooted discussion, I think, is the way to go. But unfortunately, uh, I think, as we see with the broader issues around dialogue, the key parties uh, are not willing to go that way. All right, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Obert Gutu, Piers Pigo, and Ibo Mandaza. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Ng, Mahabharata, and Laurent Peter. Studio sound was by Nanda Kishore. The program was edited by Manish Matai, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday.